Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Today, I am very excited about this this topic. Not just because I'm preaching it, but because myself, I myself was very enlightened about what I learned. And so I hope this, this message does, does the same thing for you. And what we are going to talk about is the uniquely designed pieces of metal, the uniquely designed armor that God has created for us. And let me start off by giving you a, a few Bible verses that I think are important for the Christian walk. This will not be on the screen. And the first one is 1 Peter 2.9. And this is a very significant verse in, in the life of the Christian because it states that we have been chosen to be a part of God's holy nation. A royal priesthood to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Psalm 23 is... Another wonderful message, glorifying the worth of our shepherd and the work of our shepherd, who tirelessly provides for his sheep as a, as a, as a faithful keeper of his flock. Another one comes from Ezra 7, verse 10, where it delivers a wonderful challenge, if not a, a timeless job description of a New Testament pastor or teacher. We are told that in the great revival in Jerusalem, the little Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it. And there are so many more great texts. In, in fact, all, all Scripture is, is profitable, right? It's all inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the believer, all of us who, who believe, may be equipped for every good work. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through, through 17. And so today, what I want to talk about with you today is the construction of a believer's life by taking us to a text in which the Apostle Paul challenges the, the, the believers in the, in the city of, of Ephesus. He challenges the believers to construct their lives and prepare their hearts that their lives will stand the tests of time, the test of, of temptation and, and trouble. So let's look at the book of Ephesians and look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, where it reads, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against... I lost myself. Okay. Against the powers, against the, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. In other words, the writer is... Telling us to build our house with a hurricane in mind. Build your life and trials and tests and temptations 
with them in mind. Clothe yourself in the armor of a warrior which has been designed by God for spiritual battle. Get ready for, for life. I'd like to share with you one. I've actually shared this story here before. It's a very intriguing story about the expedition of, of John Franklin. So in 1845, John Franklin left England to discover our northwest passageway, seaway for, for ships through the Canadian Arctic region that connected the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans together. He took with him on, on this expedition 138 specially chosen men from the Royal Navy without them even knowing what to expect. Actually, not one of these men even seemed to be aware of the severe weather conditions that they will encounter in and around the North Pole. Nonetheless, they, they sailed off in two state-of-the-art ships. Each ship was equipped with an auxiliary steam engine and a huge storeroom that could hold a 12-day supply of coal should, power, should steam power ever be needed during the voyage. The men were confident as they sailed off destined for, for glory, but they were tragically underprepared. They actually had not planned thoroughly enough for what laid ahead in the icy field waters of, of northern Alaska. In fact, the only clothing that they took with them were the uniforms and thin overcoats provided by Her Majesty's Navy. Two months after their departure, um, British weather made contact with the two ships of the co coast of, of Canada. And he was actually the last European to see them alive. Search parties would spend 12 years retracing the, pack, the path of the, of the Franklin expedition. And eventually some of the puzzle pieced, some of the puzzle was pieced together. The expedition had evidently been stalled by, by icy waters. Eskimos reported seeing men pushing a wooden boat across the ice. The members of the search party saw a few remains at Simpson Strait, a waterway in Canada. Three wooden masts of one of the ships protruding up through the ice. <clears throat> Amid all of the, the findings, the Devastate, the, the most devastating of all was the discovery that neither ship had stocked enough coal supply. In fact, they had both turned that huge storeroom into a lounge filled with a 1,200 volume library, an organ, and even cupboard space for elegant place settings of china and, and, and silver for, for all of the officers. One historian said that the Franklin expedition was prepared for weather conditions inside the ship and not, and not outside. One search party found 30 frozen bodies in a tent near the, the water's edge. The officers were dressed in their overcoats with their silk scarves still in place. These men were... They were confident. Their, their hopes were high, but they were not prepared for the challenges of, of that expedition. In John 15:18, Jesus Christ told us that the world will hate you because it hated me. Jesus also warned his disciples, they will put you out of the synagogues. 
Indeed, the hour is coming when whomever kills you will think he is offering service to God. John 16.2 Jesus also said, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Luke chapter 12, verses 51 through 53. I, um, I often wonder... Uh, if I am truly prepared for, for all of that. Actually, if I'm being completely honest with myself, when situations arise that often mirror or are exact to what Jesus and the disciples warn us about, I often fail more times than I would like to admit. And if we are all being honest with ourselves, if you want to look at the guilty party... We need only look into a mirror. Persecution will arise because of the presence of the word. Jesus explained in, in Matthew thirteen twenty one. I mean, Jesus, Jesus himself throughout his life was, was mocked by, by the re- religious leaders. The chief priests mocked him. Herod mocked him. And eventually even the, the, the soldiers mocked him. The early church was ridiculed at Pentecost. And the city mocked. The apostles, by saying these men are drunk, Acts 2.13. Hebrews 11 records that many believers endure cruel mocking. Believers everywhere will be persecuted for the cross of Christ, Galatians 6.12. The godly in Jesus Christ will will suffer tribulation, 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.11-13, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and we labor working with our own hands when reviled we bless when persecuted we endure when slander we entreat we have become and are still like the scum of the world the refuse of all things and so are we are we ready for this kind of treatment for this kind of reputation and so my message today is about getting ready for life by putting on the armor of God I think the Apostle Paul assumes that you and I are are not ready at least not until we have mentally put on the six pieces of armor designed by God to help us stand the tests of life And so the first piece of armor mentioned is the, is the belt of truth. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Back in Roman times, this was a long leather undershirt that hung to the, to the thighs. It was critical that in everything, connect, that everything connected to this apron-like shirt, the, the, sword, the sword hung from it, the, the, the breastplate was attached to it. Everything was in some way connected to it. Everything is in some way connected to the truth. In some way dependent upon the undergirding of the truth. And so, apart from inspired truth, 
revealed truth, infallible truth from God, we really do not have the ability to construct life capable of withstanding anything, much less believing anything. We are certainly not ready to, to take on the world system, which is an enemy of the absolute truth of God, apart from God's truth, the, the Word. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6.14 says, Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. For most soldiers, this will be strips of leather layered one on top of another, forming a covering over the heart. If they were wealthy enough, they would have a custom design, a perfectly molded plate of metal. And since we are the sons and daughters of the emperor himself, we have the promise of a perfectly fitting armor. Uniquely designed for, for our heart, our makeup, our design and, and skill. This breastplate of righteousness is equated to the covering of Christ's righteousness. This is the character of Christ which protects our hearts. This is the offering of Christ on our behalf that continually cleanses and, and, and protects our hearts. This is the righteousness of Christ which ultimately covers and protects our hearts from any fatal wound. The third piece of armor is shoes. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 6.15 that we need a good pair of shoes. He writes, And as for sh- as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And I think that most of us might overlook that shoes are a part of the armor and They are necessary for at least two things. First, shoes are necessary for balance, for providing solid footing. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 15.1, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. The gospel is like a pair of good shoes that gives balance as we stand on the truth. Secondly, shoes are necessary for progress. The Romans had embedded in their leather shoes little pieces of of metal. Uh, These were probably like first century cleats. The wearer could charge a heel or or keep their their footing on on, on uneven terrain. They could advance forward against enemy attack during hand-to-hand combat. By the way, the soldier, if he was retreating, the soldier did not need these shoes, these cleats. If he was running away from his enemy, he might want speed, but he did not necessarily need traction. This is like a, like a football player on the gridiron. Cleats help and move the ball downfield against opposing forces. And if you've ever been to a football game, and I have been to a few, perhaps you have noticed the way people dress up to cheer on their teams. I have seen, span, I have seen fans wear a jersey they paid $150 for, no judgment. I have been one of those. I have seen fans wear football helmets, paint their faces. If you don't believe me, uh, that's me and my friend at uh, Carolina Panther. Never mind him opening his mouth like that. That's that's weird. Uh, you know, if there's no psychologist, in, if you look at a psychologist right now, that you'll probably think that young man is highly troubled, highly, highly troubled. Not making the right decisions in life. But however passionate, however, no matter how passionate I have been for my team or someone else's for their team, I had never seen 
a fan wear cleats on the stands. Not once. Cleats are not needed in the stands or on the sidelines. Only the players on the field wear them. This is where the action is. That is where the contest is being waged. Paul is assuming that we are going to get into the game for the believer in the thick of it. The gospel is what we need to advance against opposing forces. You can take that picture down. I'm getting a a little self-conscious now (laughs) with that up there. Uh, The the fourth piece of armor is the the shield of faith. Paul next draws our attention to one of the most fascinating pieces of of armor the Romans used in in battle. In Ephesians 6, 16, Paul refers to the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This also explicitly states that Satan is an aggressor. He fires flaming missiles, flaming arrows, fiery darts. Paul, in in this verse, is referring to a common practice during his day. When an army came against a city in ancient days, they would dip their arrows, light them, and shoot them over the, over the city walls. As soon as one of these arrows hit the rooftops of, of buildings, the fire will, will also splatter. The same will be done against an advancing army. Lighted arrows would be fired so that the clothing of the, of the soldiers could, could catch on fire and then panic will erupt in the ranks. The soldiers' shield were covered with leather, that had been soaked with water before battle in order to extinguish the fires caused by the arrows. Paul is is saying, have your shields ready. You never know when fire is going to break out all around you. Now, it is important to know the kind of shield the Romans had. And there were two kinds of shields in the Roman army. One shield was small round shield worn the the arm of a soldier in hand-to-hand combat there was another kind of shield that the latin word for it is is tudios that was four feet tall and two feet wide it was nicknamed the wall and this is the shield paul is referring to in in this verse among other things the the soldiers would plant the shield in the ground and hide behind it as the enemy fired in the same way in the, in the believer's life, there are times when all we can do is plant the shield of faith and wait it out. All the while we are trusting with faith in God's person and provision and providence. As David wrote, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Psalm 3.3. Um, this, this shields not only protected the, the soldier, but united the, the, the soldiers, literally unified the army. The Roman army was extremely unique in the development of their shield and often was victorious because of it. <clears throat> the edges of these shields were beveled and notched so that they could be look, locked into place with, with the shield on, on both sides. As a result, they will actually have a row of men that made up a a wall of metal. 
advancing against an army. And what a picture this is of, of a unified church. A body of believers advancing against hostile territory. The powers of darkness hate, hate, hate almost more than anything a unified church. Is it any surprise that the most dangerous times for any church are times of disunity and, and dissension? It's no wonder that when conflict occurs among believers, the devil is more than happy to supply ammunition to both sides. He, he loves it. There is little doubt, in my opinion, that the worst enemy of the church is frequently the church. The thing that often keeps the church from moving forward is the church. The thing that keeps the church from winning the world is that the world has won over the church. Similarly, similarly the thing that often discourages young believers from growing in, in Christ is that other believers refuse to grow up. What kind of impact could we have then with a unified heart towards advancing the glory of Christ? This is the, like the church in, in Jerusalem, known for with one mind, exhibiting gladness and sincerity of heart. Acts 2.46. And so this shield not only protected the soldier and united the army, but it reflected the sun. The 4 by 2 shield was, was made basically out of large planks of wood overlaid with, with strips of leather. However, in the center of the shield... Soldiers would attach a round piece of brass. Before going into battle, they, will, they would polish that piece of brass until it shone with the brilliance of, of a mirror. As the Roman army walked into battle, they would literally reflect the light of the sun into the eyes of their enemies. And in doing so, distract them. With our faith in Christ, we reflect the light of God's Son, who is the light of the world into the world around us, into the eyes of our great enemy. <clears throat> the devil hates the person and glory of Christ, our great light. He hates the, the reflection of Christ's gospel because the radiant light of the gospel has the power to dispel the darkness. So let your light shine before others. That they may ultimately give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 And watch out that we mis misinterpret the words, let your light shine before others. This is not our light. It's not about how awesome we are. It's not about how generous or patient or kind we are. The light is the Holy Spirit, the Christ, the, the Father. Anything good, anything bright, anything great about us is the Lord's. Apart from Him, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments, filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf, and our, and, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Isaiah 64.6 The fifth 
piece of armor is the, the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6.17 tells us, and take up the helmet of salvation. Now this does not refer to being saved. Paul is not saying that after we put on the shoes, and after we put on the belt or, or apron of truth, and then really now go get saved. It's certainly not what Paul is talking about, because in the first place, we'll not even have this armor if we were not saved. In fact, we'll not even be in the army of Christ if we were not saved. So a soldier's helmet protects his head. For us, um, it protects our minds. It protects our thoughts. Salvation is the truth that we believe by faith. The greatest, most severe battles leveled against the believer are the battles that take place in the mind. I mean, the, the six inches between our ears can certainly become one of the darkest places in the whole world. And what Paul is telling us is to guard our minds with the truth of God. Especially as it relates to salvation. Salvation has three tenses. Past salvation, present salvation, and future salvation. Past salvation, this is the justification by faith alone. The moment when we were born again by the Spirit of God. Present salvation, this is sanctification, the ongoing work of Christ, which conforms us to His image. And then future salvation, this is Glorification when we will be delivered forever into the fellowship of heaven and our Lord. So past salvation is the moment when we were delivered from the penalty of sin. Present salvation is the daily battle over the power of sin. And future salvation is the deliverance from the presence of sin. So we need to get ready to fight regarding our salvation. Salvation because the enemy will bring doubts about our past salvation, accuse us regarding our failure in our sanctification, and distract our vision regarding our coming glorification. So we need to put on the thoughts that protect regarding all that God has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us. So the final piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.17, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the principal point of contact with the enemy. The, the sword is not our looks. It's not our charm. It's not our cleverness. It's not our skills. It's not our methods. It's not our finances. It's not this country. Our sword is the Word of God. Now, the Roman sword was two feet long and, and sharpened on both sides. The writer of Hebrews refers to this when he says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 When Jesus Christ went into the wilderness to be tempted, he did not bind the devil. Three times he was tempted, and all three times the first words that came out out of Jesus' mouth were, It is written. You can find that in Matthew 4. Um, three different times Jesus quoted from, from the book of Deuteronomy. He encountered the enemy and used the living, powerful sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
And if I could invite the worship team up, please. So as we attempt to construct a life capable of withstanding the high winds of the storms in, in, in life, let me share two thoughts with you. First, God has not given the Christian here on earth final victory over sin yet. But he has given the potential for repeated victory over sin. He has conquered death, but until our glorification, we will have struggles and and battles in this dying world. So do not be caught off guard, especially those who are young in the faith. Do not expect one victory to signal the end of temptation. The, The battle is daily, but we know that Christ has conquered all. Every day we will face tests of integrity, honesty, purity, perspective, trust. Our greatest battle over temptation will always be our next one. And we have the God-granted potential for, for victory over one battle at a time. And He expects us to dress up for war. This is the reason why when we were saved, we were not handed a, a robe and a crown. We were handed a sword and a shield. And so are we ready for this kind of life? Are we the type of Christians or are we the type of Christians that are dressed in silk scarves and thin wool coats heading into the fiercest blizzards of spiritual battle? And the second thought is that the battle in the believer's life does not diminish with commitment to Christ but becomes more dangerous and difficult. The person who has said, Lord, I want to place my life under construction. Consider my life a building site for your spirit to demolish, reconstruct, rebuild, change, and repair. This person has done nothing less than challenge the enemies of Christ. All that opposes heaven will now oppose them. The Christian who dares to say, I want to construct a life that glorifies God, has just moved up to the front lines where he can see the enemy dipping his arrows in flame and then aiming them directly at them. If this is your heart, get ready. And by the way, Paul, the the veteran soldier, is cheering us on in Ephesians 6, 10 and 12 says, as you dress out, be strong in the Lord. Not in yourself, but in the Lord. And in the strength of His might. There, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. A lot of us are probably deeper in, into a battle than what we think we, we are. And so we need, we must be ready. The battle of all battles... is coming. In no way am I a prophet, in no way I even pretend to be. But the Bible is clear that things will happen, that things are happening, and even more that things are to come. Don't get mad at me, I'm just telling you what, what that guy said. 
in the Bible. So let's be ready. Let's be uh, prepared for, for the fight of our life. <clears throat> let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.